0: You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast, sex and relationship advice you can use tonight.
1: Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I'm your co-host, Brandon Ware, here with my lovely other half.
0: How are you doing today, babe?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: Um I'm I'm feeling good. We had a weekend away in our nation's capital. A lot of people who aren't Canadian don't know that our capital is Ottawa. They either think it's Toronto or, as non-Canadians say, Montréal. 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 But yeah, our nation's capital, Ottawa, is Ottawa. And we were in town for the weekend, enjoying the city, mostly enjoying um, one of the parks nearby, Gatineau Park. We did a number of big hikes and went swimming and paddleboarding. So I'm feeling pretty good to have gotten out of the city.
1: Yeah, it was a great weekend. Ottawa is a beautiful city. Um, access to parks. The downtown core, not so busy.
0: No, but- it was very quiet.
1: Yeah, it was it was very very quiet.
0: It's a it's a pretty city, and you know, they, have, they have all the old, beautiful parliament buildings, and the old library, and Supreme Court of Canada, and all those things. Uh, but it is a it's a smaller city, even though it's our nation's capital.
1: Yes, I would agree.
0: But uh, the real advantage, and what makes me so drawn to it, even over the course of the weekend, I kept saying, I think I could live in Ottawa, is the fact that they're 15 minutes from Gatineau Park, which is fabulous for hiking and skiing and swimming and exploring and and all that jazz and this is my second time in gatineau this year i mean i never go there but i had a gig there uh earlier this year in february and went on some winter hikes but it was nice to be back with you
1: how'd you do on those winter hikes amazing yeah really what What do you mean because it's it could be i'm trying to think of the conversion of temperatures it could be 65 degrees and and you're freaking out about how you're freezing cold it's the coldest day of your life.
0: I know. Well, it was much colder than 65. It was all snowy when I was there. We're talking back in February.
1: Generally, I'm a human heating machine. Rarely am I cold, or at least I think rarely. No, am I, I enjoyed
0: cold. the winter but hike. You, you were always
1: cold. So no. I'm surprised that you felt okay on a winter hike.
0: You know what it was? I was in town just for the day, basically. Yeah. And I, I, when I'm traveling for work, Remember those long lost days?
1: Yeah, I remember. Seems like so long ago. I
0: know. When I'm traveling for work, I always like to do something fun. So I went on this cool hike, and it reminded me that we needed to get back to get you know. So I'm glad. I'm glad we did this weekend. It felt good to kind of just escape from the house and be in a in a different uh, different environment. And they're taking physical distancing very 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 seriously in ottawa like i was so impressed with the cafes and coffee shops and you you actually stood six to seven feet away from the register and they ran the wire for the credit card machine so that you didn't even have to go within six feet of the staff and they had big partitions up
1: i'd say they're doing a much better job than toronto even in terms of and i can't speak for all establishments but even just flow of traffic through Some of the coffee shops and restaurants, Mm -hmm. it's very clearly marked and made me feel much more comfortable.
0: Yeah, we're still taking this seriously. So uh, we went through for a number of walks in the city through Little Italy, which is fairly small. There was a Chinatown, also fairly small. I did notice um, the lack of racial diversity walking around the city for sure. Like I felt like I might have been the only Chinese person I saw because i do look even, in every even ref-
1: through chinatown
0: I, w- I looked in every reflective surface so i saw a lot of myself <laughs> but that's and that's what we're talking about today maybe that was a really bad segue but it is something that i noticed and also remarked upon and it's something that i notice as i travel in previous weeks we've been in Paris, Ontario. So if you check out my Instagram, you'll see the uh, trip report there. And we were in Niagara-on-the-Lake a couple of times, which is obviously a really stunning, beautiful area with uh, interesting wines being produced. And I love it. And at the same time, it's it's really white. And lately, of course, everybody's talking about race. I'm always talking about race. And I think over the course of our relationship, um, you've probably felt like, man, she's always talking about race.
1: I think I used to feel like you were always talking about race years ago and I uh, now I'm I've realized I'm coming to realize I'm learning that it is something that we will always talk about and we should always talk about and be aware of
0: yeah and I think um, being around white people when you bring up race as a person of color it definitely make it seems to make white people uncomfortable is that how you would
1: yeah i mean i am a white person i when we first started having these conversations about race i was there was a knee-jerk response immediately where it's kind of like well that's not me that's not who i am and i've had to really challenge myself and i continue to i want to be very clear that i am far from where i'd like to be and i don't know exactly what that means but just the continuing of learning but it was uh it was uncomfortable to have these conversations and now i'm learning that it is needed to, to it needs to be that way there has to be discomfort
0: right and that, that discomfort really pales in comparison to the fear and to the other consequences that i think people of color face so you're uncomfortable with being white you're afraid you're going to be seen as racist but literally people are afraid for their lives for their security for their safety for their financial stability for their kids
1: yeah that's what's so funny even as you mentioned it's not funny but it's it's frightening for me to think about my discomfort in a conversation pales in comparison to people's discomfort of living their lives right so you know, the fact that I'm going to have to be uncomfortable and I'm going to have to be called out and I'm going to have to confront that, that, that fact, the fact that I'm white and the privilege that accompanies that is nothing in comparison to what other people live with every single day.
0: Yeah. And as that, so I'm a mixed race person and, um, I'm sure people know I'm, I'm Chinese Jamaican on my mom's side and I'm Irish My dad's from Canada, um, on the other side. And so I'm mixed, and sometimes I'm passing. um, I think more so with you than when I'm on my own. But, you know, people ask me about my... They ask me my nationality all the time. I'm like, well, I'm Canadian. No, no, no. Where are you from? Toronto. No, no, no. Where are you from? <laughs> and then they're like, well, where, where are your parents from? I'm like, Vancouver and Jamaica. And that just further confuses them because I clearly look you know, more Chinese. <laughs> um, and people obviously come to associate Jamaican, for example, with black. But if you look at the history of an island that was you know, colonized multiple times and they brought folks over, the Brits brought. Jamaicans over, sorry, brought Africans over to Jamaica to build the island. People always think of Jamaica as a black island, but certainly there are many black people in Jamaica um, who were used to build this nation, and it was really on their backs upon which the the nation was built by by a number of different groups. So the Brits were there, uh, the Spanish were there, and so you know they say out of many one people. But there are there tends to be one people that benefits more Um, and it's still very racially stratified. And of course, I as a non, you know, I don't live in Jamaica, so I'm not going to necessarily speak on on Jamaica. But I do want to talk about um, living in an interracial relationship. And uh, I only want to speak about our own experience because no two relationships are alike, but also because as a mixed race person, my experience is different. Than as somebody who is full Chinese or uh, full on Chinese or, um, or black or Indian or I can really only speak about our own experience and, and it's interesting because um, certainly there are some very significant cultural differences in terms of expectations and those expectations might be different just on an individual basis but there are differences between between our cultures and and like from little things in terms of you know how you interact with your parents or what's expected of you as a kid or um pressure within the family or or other things daily things like how you eat your meals uh can be really different
1: yeah i mean i'm british of british descent my parents are my mom immigrated here from uh, from the uk from England and my dad was born here generations he's been here and like you said even the way like our cultural differences uh, what is important with regard to family or food are I'm I've learned over the years are just very different between, and money and money like
0: yeah. when and kids
1: yeah I mean it, it, it runs the gamut and I think a lot of these things I wouldn't have ever thought about had we not had i not partnered with you Mm. I think or, or I don't know that I wouldn't have thought about them but I wonder how I would have thought about them differently and it's very interesting to I mean I am so appreciative of being challenged by you and having the privilege of learning by listening to you and your your involvement and your experience and how it shapes my 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 experience in general
0: and i think that speaks to you know if i were to think about you know how you can be supportive of of your partner it really is about being open to to listening and learning from from their experiences and i'm I'm not talking about necessarily um, me learning about the white experience because the white experience is centered and i'm not saying i don't have anything to learn but as a person of color i think what i want to feel is listened to by a partner um and and you know, I want you to understand that my experience is unique and that you can't always draw a parallel to your own um, and make it about you because that's something we see in relationships where – you know, one partner will say, oh, I, I dealt with this racial discrimination. And then the other partner will chime in like, oh, well, I was discriminated against once because I wore this hat or something like that. Well, no, I mean, I'm exaggerating, obviously, here. But I think it's important to remember that if you're a white person, it's not always about you because all of us as humans, we have a tendency to want to chime in and share our own stories of discrimination and our own stories of stigma. But when it comes to race, if it's not your own, I think it's better to listen and offer support and and not try and offer solutions. Because that's something I've run into in the past with folks saying, well, maybe if you did this or spoke this way or looked this way, and I'm not really looking for solutions. And again, I'm really just speaking as a mixed race, Chinese white person, Um, the experience of a black person is going to be entirely different. And, you know, within the Chinese culture, and I've seen it in my family, um, anti-black racism also exists. And I know that there's a lot of talk right now of language around people of color. uh, But when we mean black, we should say black. If we're specifically talking about black lives mattering, we can use Black, as opposed to just the more general term people of color, because people of color can be racist too. And people of color like me can benefit from racial oppression. You know, I fall on the side of, of privilege in many ways. But the other thing is, and you and I ran into this years ago, um, another important piece besides listening is being willing to learn from your partner, but also not asking them to be a teacher. And so, you you know, to be an ally or to be an accomplice, meaning someone who looks to tear down the systems of oppression, not just stand in, not just stand as an ally, but to really fight against systems that continue to oppress people, um, you know, it's an ongoing process. You have to do the work yourself as well. You can read, you can Google, you can subscribe to different publications. You can, you know, do a workbook like Me and White Supremacy because, if you're turning to your partner at every turn for information or validation, uh, it's important to remember that you know they can arrive at every conversation already tired. Um, I think a lot of people are saying right now, oh, this is a really hard time for, for Black folks or other people of color, but it's not a, an especially difficult time. It's always been hard. Black folks have a history of being oppressed. The only part that's really changed is that now more non-Black people are talking about it or changing their instagram profile or trying to center voices and hopefully we're keeping you know our foot on the pedal as they say
1: yeah it's even sitting here listening to you i'm, I'm analyzing how i'm feeling in this conversation and if i had to admit to this even now like I, I am uncomfortable like i am uncomfortable having this conversation i think about people listening to what i have to say judging me um, and all of that, like I said, like we said before, pales in comparison to the experience of others who live through these microaggressions and other forms of oppression on a daily basis and and how my discomfort in having a conversation is nothing.
0: Are you afraid you're going to say something wrong?
1: I'm afraid I'm going to say something at times that embarrasses, like that I embarrass myself or that I, I I say something and immediately I know that, oh my gosh, I'm I'm trying to be that that person who is, like, people have said, oh, you're, you're in the past, you're woke. I'm like, are you, are you ever really woke? Like, I don't think you ever really can be because it's so fluid. You have to be constantly learning. And I, and even as you said that, I think back over the years where you've been like, take it upon yourself to learn. Don't rely on me. And even you saying that to me, immediately my, my thing, oh my God, I feel bad. And it's like, well, stop feeling bad for yourself and go and do something about it. I kind of remember
0: a turning point in our relationship where you started reading different publications, not just whitewashed mainstream news. Um, And I felt as though I didn't have to explain things as much. I felt as though our perspectives became more aligned. Uh, Obviously, our experiences are different. But um, yeah, even just when you started reading more work by – black authors and other authors who are people of color when you started reading more perspectives on the news from, you know, outlets like The Root. Um, I, I I remember feeling a sense of relief, because this is hard to explain. And you know, you're uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable too. Like I'm, I'm th- sitting here thinking, being a mixed race person is weird. Number one, I have my feet on each side of the fence and it is it's a really weird experience and I think it it informs a a very big part of who I am and never really feeling like I fit in anywhere like I'm that way in business sometimes I feel that way even with friends um, and I feel that way with family it's a very strange experience Uh, but also you know I know that that I'm uh, fearful of judgment I'm fearful of people um, get coming at me or saying like oh you're always making it about race but the thing is every interaction is about your core identity and when you aren't white people that's the first thing oftentimes people see about you could be could also be gender in in some cases so i I think that um yeah i just remember this shift in our relationship where you kind of i don't want to say you got it okay i'm not saying that like people arrive at a place but i remember that i didn't have to explain things in the same way or share perspectives in the same way and Yeah, it just it felt like a sense of relief because for some people of color, you arrive at a conversation or you arrive at work or you arrive at a relationship and you've already faced these layers of um, feeling threatened or feeling unwelcome or feeling unsafe. And so when you think about that in like an institutional context of oppression, you think about somebody riding the subway and being harassed on the subway, uh, even just women not feeling safe, like having to change the way we dress so that on a nice walk on a sunny day, we don't have to deal with harassment. So there's an emotional exhaustion that comes with that. And then you arrive at work or you arrive at a conversation or you arrive at a relationship already kind of worn down, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it completely makes sense. And you, you mentioned a couple of years or, or however long ago it was when I had that shift in attitude. And I, I remember vaguely the conversation where you said, you know, take it upon yourself to learn don't rely on me and don't rely on others and that's when i did start reading very smart brothers and and the root and reading i remember reading michael harriet and you know his his weekly or monthly clapback section and starting to recognize the daily atrocities and the daily and that was what was so surprising because it's not covered it's not talked about and you start seeing these things that seem ridiculous and how frequently they happen and how they're not reported and that's when I I, I started realizing that this is this is mind-blowing for again as somebody who can close his eyes and go through his life without ever having ever needing to worry about being oppressed or being discriminated against and it was like wow like wake up like start paying attention
0: right and and i don't know if it makes you more aware i I think about in relationships um i always want to feel like i'm walking into a safe space and so there have been times where you know I, i guess i've been subjected to either subtle racism um and i've always known that you'd stand up to those people and let them know that it's not welcome in your life And I know that you've always been willing to have awkward conversations so that I don't have to feel threatened. I don't have to feel unsafe. I don't have to feel demeaned. Um, But I think it's important, too, to note that, you know, whether it's family or friends, if you continue to spend time with people who are either blatantly or subtly racist, you have to kind of ask yourself why. And can you really be an ally? And if you're dating somebody who's a person of color, are you making sure you're putting them into safe spaces? And this is a conversation that, you know, I wouldn't have known how to even start 20 years ago when we start dating and I can see in your eyes that you like feel badly and that's not what I'm trying to say I, I just wanted to more share um, my experience about not always feeling safe and knowing and to tell you the truth I think as a young woman and as a mixed-race woman and as a woman who like you know, we come from being Chinese, which is more the model minority, and we're expected to not speak up. We're expected to laugh it off. In fact, we're expected to to, to exhibit our own internalized racism. Like, I remember growing up that way and, and just trying not to be Chinese. Like, why would I want to be Chinese when I could fit in? Why would I want to be Chinese when I could be more liked and, and you know, be cooler But then I ate the food, the white food, and I was like, oh, i got to go back to being Chinese again. (laughs) I'm like, don't like these meat and potatoes. But um, the creation of safe spaces for your partner is really important. I I think I'm really happy that this conversation has been opened up so that folks who are dating someone, white folks who are dating a person of color, can really think about, like, am I introducing you into a space that is safe? And if I'm willing to introduce you into a space that isn't safe, why? Like what what is it that I'm what privilege usually am I looking to uphold well, right
1: you, you said that years ago where or or where somebody had commented on The uh, just the the kind of acknowledgement that people around you and your family are racist, and you chalk it up to oh, it's my racist uncle or whatever Mm -hmm. it is, not thinking that it has any, you know, it's kind of sweeping it under the rug. They're old; they're not going to change, or whatever it is. That's just who they are, and you kind of deal with it. And then you think about how that impacts the people that care that you care the most about. Years ago, I had to confront family members who made comments about, um, you know, certain minorities, And, and and having that conversation. And walking out was probably one of the most difficult things. Well, one of the more difficult things I've had to do. Awkward. Terribly awkward. And...
0: You walked out in the middle of the fight with this family member and then you drove away and, and my you car got a flat broke tire down. My something. car broke down.
1: I had to call somebody to come pick me up because I couldn't go back and I was far away from home. And yes, again, but but it was just like making, doing that and then thinking about what happened after and this and it's so it's exactly what they say is that the person who was offended ended up crying and the need to I mean the person sit, who was being racist the, the person who was crying. being racist ended up crying and then somehow i ended up apologizing because they felt bad over over the the racist comments that were made and- That they made. That they made. So they felt bad
0: because you called them out on their racism. I called them out, And so instead of the person who was hurt by the racism, that would be me crying, the person who was racist ended up crying their tears to bring the focus back to themselves.
1: Centering themselves and then of course I'm placating, I'm making them feel better rather than just saying, no, it's awkward, you deal with it, you figure out your stuff, this matters to me. And, you know, if that were to happen today, I wouldn't, I, ho- I know that I would see what's happening and I would say, this is on you, this isn't on me. But I'm, I'm, I'm reflecting back over the years and the things that I have and that I haven't said. And as a white person, the ability to, you know, other white people just assume that they're your bro immediately.
0: Right? I can tell you, and I don't know if we've ever talked about this. Like, but I remember, and again, this isn't me, you know, getting mad at you for not creating a safe space. Although I'm glad we're having the conversation. I remember um, someone in your family saying, like, "Oh, you're." I don't remember how it came up, but basically, oh, you went to an almost all white school, and you were Chinese, so uh, the guys must have gone crazy for you, or you must. I think his words were, "You must have been such a uh, d- delicacy." And that's the second time in my life that. Um, I've only had two white partners, but that a white partner's family has called me that. Uh, a yeah, delicacy.
1: I'm pretty sure I'd have lost my mind if... If,
0: if you'd heard that. Yeah. Right, but I, I I shouldn't even be in that environment. And and it's on me too to know... How do I say it? Like I was saying before, and I know I'm rambling a little, but you know, raised as this model minority, raised to just kind of keep your head down and fit in, you don't speak up. You laugh at those jokes because even though they make you uncomfortable you don't want to make other people uncomfortable and that comes from both race and gender and yeah i think there's something that i'm learning about myself if i reflect on my whole life there were always things that made me feel uncomfortable that didn't sit right with me and i never had the language to describe it and like some of that has to do with um saviorism like going you know rich people going into a country and trying to like save a community uh and taking pictures like oh you know with with the locals who are usually either brown or black and it's just you know one white person in the photo with all of these locals and and again i don't want people to you know stop listening and feel judged i'm just telling you that that's always sat Um, as uncomfortable for me never had the language around it I just knew that it didn't feel right Um, I remember even people joking about like wanting to get like adopt an Asian baby because Asian babies are so cute and again it's probably something I just kind of laughed at and was like oh yeah Asian babies are cute I was adorable but (laughs) now I look back and I'm like okay I see all the saviorism in this and it's it's the same within the family where these things that have been said to me I remember another Um, person in another family so like I said I had one other white partner in my life and I was young and she's like oh you're Jamaican and she said I went to Jamaica it's so hard there cuz white women and she used the word delicacy as well she said I'm like a delicacy down there for them and I was I remember being like really really young and just rolling my eyes in my head but also wanting to fit in with this family Um, and so I think that I bring this all up um, and share my story to just you know offer a perspective that if you are bringing your partner into a space with family with friends can you make sure it's safe for them so they don't have to go through this and deal with this harm and i I mean honestly and maybe people for some people it sounds like i'm complaining i could write pages and pages of these incidents
1: and I, i reflect back on my upbringing things that i've said things that i'm embarrassed that i've said i need to be called out i need to be Slapped in the face with some of the things that I've done, and
0: turkey slapped.
1: I hope it's not turkey slapped. <laughs> if you don't know what that is, Google it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's the ball smacking it's the, balls the face. In the face, yeah. <laughs> so if that's your thing, rock and roll. Yeah. But uh, I, I I do know that over the years, over the last number of years, there is a lot of my family that we don't see anymore, mm-hmm. and a big reason for that is because of the values and the beliefs and the actions that they have taken that honestly make me feel uncomfortable being around them. And and this is the first time I've said that. And if they are listening, then they'll know.
0: Mm. And,
1: and you know, how do you move forward from this? It's like we would need to have a conversation. Somebody would need to express, I, I, I don't even know what I would be, I'd be looking for a reason to say, okay, like, why is it safe for us to come back into this space, Right. right.
0: And I guess if you are hearing um, either subtle or blatantly racist talk from family members and I think like blatantly racist talk I think is easier to to call out. But some of the more subtle stuff like that you've, you know, I've heard about, you know, my race bringing the neighborhood values down and some of that nonsense. um, I think people need a reminder that you have a right to speak up. And I also think you have a responsibility so, you can you kind of if you hear your someone in your family talking this way, can you ask them why? you know what like what, what would make you say something like that? What makes you think that it's true, uh, and then maybe talk a little bit about what it is and 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 you know, you don't have to get angry at them, and in fact, your anger might be useless, right? It's really about you have this opportunity to tear down some of these. Um, intergenerational expectations and norms with logic with data with the reality of history with discussions of systemic racism um, and systemic discrimination and the long-term costs and you don't have to be an expert like I think people are worried about winning an argument when in fact it's not about winning an argument it really is about I think letting that family member know how you feel like can you repeat their words back to them So that they know that you're listening. And can you be okay with making it awkward and making it uncomfortable? Because, again, any awkwardness or lack of comfort pales in comparison to the fear with which so many folks are forced to live every single day because of systemic racism. And I think it can be helpful if, you know, a family member says something to let them know how it makes you feel. Like, let them know that it makes you feel hurt or unsafe or threatened or distanced or saddened like don't just say that's not appropriate or that's racist I'm fine you can say that if you want but can you tell them you know I want to have this conversation with you because I do care about you but I also care about folks beyond our family and I know that you do too so I know we both care let's keep talking even though we don't agree or you might say something like you know when you say things like that it sucks for me because it makes me feel so far apart from you. Like, I don't feel like I can really connect. I don't feel like we can have this relationship. I want to feel close to you. And I think also it's important to know, like, Brendan, something you're really good at is saying, like, you know what? I I thought that way or I spoke that way. And I've, I've kind of changed the way I think. Like, I used to think one way and then I learned about this piece of history and I realized that... Maybe the way I thought wasn't so reasonable. I, I kind of realized that I've done more harm than good. I realize that I've hurt people and I want to do better and I'm trying to learn um, kind of alongside you. And of course, you know, you can share resources. I hate when I, like even in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is a show I love, (laughs) um, there's a joke about like, oh, I got this email and that email and a slightly racist email from my older relative. Like it's something funny, like, ha ha, those old folks. But let's just remember, and maybe this comes from my Chinese side, but old folks are smart or smarter than us and they can unlearn racism. Absolutely. And just as they share around their racist jokes, so, can we? Well, not share the racist jokes, but we can share our perspectives. We can share articles and books and tools and videos that help them to see other perspectives. Like, if you're like me and you're on any Caribbean WhatsApp group, every morning you get like different prayers and stuff like that. Well, you know what? Intersperse with some other resources as well. Um, and let, let them know that it's, it's not cool. And your social feed does that, right? It's not just virtue signaling because those people are watching and listening and they're learning from you. Um, so this, this is going to go on a lifetime. And I was, th- I was also wanting to bring up one other thing. We ended up talking longer than I expected. I thought this would be kind of a shorter one, but I think it's also important to remember that dating or marrying or having a kid with a person of color or with a black person if you are a person of color, because anti-black racism is so extreme and and anti-indigenous racism as well. So don't assume that dating or marrying a person of color makes you less racist or less accountable. Actually, it should make you more accountable and that proximity to blackness or brownness or Asianness is no shield at, at all against the racism, the subtle racism that's ingrained in our upbringings right just you know it's like me as a chinese person i don't understand the experience of a black person i can only learn and listen um and so yeah i just think it's important to note that um you know no matter what we do we can't ask for cookies like fighting for basic human rights is just basic human decency. It's not an act of heroism. Um, Like, you know, if you look in movies, there's always like the kind of white hero who speaks out against an absurdly inherently racist system. Um, And so I guess, you know, as we share our experiences, what's most important is that, um, you know, if you want to support your partner, you have to ask them how they want to be supported because I can't speak for anyone but myself Um, and no two people want the same thing. So ask them, What does support look like? Like maybe they want to engage in deep conversations about race with you, or maybe they don't. Maybe they just want a reprieve from these discussions, and they just want general self-care at the end of the day. Um, I think some of us really want to let it all out, and some people uh, are looking for like acts of service that just show that you recognize how exhausting this can be. So, I mean, it comes down to the same thing. It could be a one-line podcast, which is ask your partner what you can do to support them.
1: Yeah, you you brought up some really good points that that I remember thinking about. Where you know, even on the social side, you were like, "What does your social feed look like?" If you want to learn more, what does your social like? What is your social network look like? And when I looked at it, it was lots of white, lots of whiteness,
0: and a lot of white men for and you.
1: Yeah, yeah, just a lot of a whole lot of whiteness. And when I started changing that up, and when I started paying more attention um it really started to help me understand more like you said even making an effort on my own to go out and do the work to understand i'm not relying i shouldn't be relying on somebody else to do that work for me as you said and you know those things really helped change and and just being uncomfortable like right now like i i am uncomfortable but I need that discomfort and, I, and I'm fearful of the day where I will be called out and I will and I need to be called out and also understanding that when I'm called out, I may not be able to make the situation better on the spot because I've hurt somebody <laughs> mm-hmm. and I have to be okay with that. I have to be okay with it in that I have to make an effort to fix the wrong that I've done and I don't feel old. But as I'm getting older, I'm realizing that, like you said, the systems that exist, the systemic racism is rampant. And it's not about ch- small changes. Like, it really does need to be torn down. Burn it down. It, it needs to be torn down. And I mean, as, as a white man who's got all the privilege in the world, the, the, the extent of the, the isms that exist when you're around other white people is mind-blowing like and the commentary and the looks and all the subtleties when you start paying attention to them and when you start looking at the history books and when you start paying attention to even like we you said we were in Ottawa and you look at the signs that talk about the explorers oh, and I was the so irritated cities that. that they've built and the things that they've done they neglect to highlight the, the people, the indigenous people that were there that were literally wiped out, that were that were murdered.
0: The whitewashing of history when they use the language of explorer or what's the other word they use when we were on the Gatino Trail? Uh, they, they use the language of explorer or like a builder. It's a word like builder when really these are colonizers. And I, I just think that Listen, um, and I know Canadians can get very defensive. I mean, we're all defensive people, but uh, Canadians are very proud of their heritage. And unfortunately, we rest on these laurels that, oh, we don't have the same issues they have in the States. And that's certainly not the case when you look at uh, the quality of life of Indigenous folks in Canada. But I, And I'm not saying let's tear down Canada altogether. What I'm saying is can we use language that reflects accurate history so that we can learn from it? And do better. And and you're right, we do have to look at tearing down systems. It needs to be radical. I mean, I'm of the belief it needs to be revolutionary. It means that people like, like you and I who benefit from these systems will have to lose financially and in other ways. And that for me is OK. That for me makes sense because um, I, I mean, just even, you know, if you look outside at people like the, the housing crisis we have in Toronto right now, we need affordable housing. I know that's a different topic, but it all ties in with race it all ties in with relationships it ties in with the way we we see family right and access to resources we have a housing crisis here in toronto where it is far too expensive to live and we have two thousand people on the street every single night at, at least i mean that's some of the data that i've read um in recent months it may have been updated since covid we have to do something about it and if we don't tear down systems that hold up nothing but profit we're, we're going to run into trouble.
1: Yeah, and and we see that. I mean, rich people be rich in, right? It's like things are so hard for us. As you know, God forbid you you know you take a hundred dollar a month, a two hundred dollar a month reduction in your rent if it means that you know somebody else. You mean as a landlord? As a landlord, somebody else has has access to housing at a more affordable rate. I mean, even then, you see how the systems exist to keep people in different in like stratifying the the economic the, the wealth and then you exists. you
0: prop it up with the myth of meritocracy the belief that I've worked for everything I have now of course I feel like I've worked I've, and pe- anyone who looks at me they all call me a workaholic but there's a lot of, a lot of luck and privilege involved in this but I I, I want to say before we go um that really this is just our experience and I don't pretend to speak for everyone and I think it's really important because I'm mixed um, to acknowledge that my experience, uh, maybe a lot easier than a lot of people.
1: I mean, mine couldn't be easier. Yes, <laughs> I l- literally have every privilege under the sun.
0: Could have married a white person.
1: Yeah, but I'm very very happy. But with then, what you. would
0: you do with the food? And then what, what, what would, would you I, guys what eat? Would I eat?
1: <laughs> you right? love
0: you love my Chinese Jamaican food. <laughs> um, so I hope this discussion proves somewhat useful. You know about being open to listening and learning, um, not expecting a partner to be your teacher. Really thinking about creating safer spaces. I'd love to do a whole episode with an expert on that because um, certainly I've put myself in uncomfortable positions. Our families, we've allowed that to happen. Um, The the notion that marrying somebody who is a person of color doesn't make you less racist or less accountable, I think that's something to really reflect upon uh, and asking your partner how you can support them. So I think those are kind of five potential action items for people to, to begin with or reflect upon and and then of course if you do have family members who are who are being racist or you know exhibiting subtle racism which can be even more insidious, knowing that you have a right to speak up, letting it be awkward, um, letting them know how you feel, admitting to your own imperfections, sharing resources and and shutting it down, knowing that you can like flood your feed and flood your conversations so that they know that this, Matters to you. So we're going to stop there. Um, Thank you for listening. Thanks for being open to our imperfect and incomplete and certainly not universal perspective. But hopefully, um, we start some conversations and you keep those conversations going. Just to note before I go that uh, in terms of sponsorship, we decided to forego sponsorship on this episode because we feel it's a sensitive topic, a really personal one, and not one that I feel.